Thanks for joining us for this recording from the Southdale Church of the Nazarene in Anderson, Indiana. I'm Pastor Brad Burrow, and I'm glad you're listening. We're starting the season of Epiphany this year with a series of messages from the Gospel of Matthew. Together, we're learning more about who Jesus is and what that means for us, his followers. Join us as we dive into the good news about Jesus as told by his disciple, Matthew. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 17 is where we will be today. Matthew chapter 17. A few weeks ago, at the very start of the year, or the very end of last year, I, I laid before you a challenge, right? To contend for our faith this year by reading one chapter each weekday, by sharing our faith with at least one person per week, by gathering together with a body of believers and joining in the fellowship of the church by sharing at least one meal a month, and by remaining in continual prayer. I trust that you have been doing that. I trust that you've been doing that even while we have been apart. And today we're in Matthew chapter 17, one of the texts that we read. We read it on Thursday together if you've been following the schedule. Uh, if you've not been following the schedule, it's easy to catch up. We're only in Matthew um, you can see the chapters we are reading this week printed right there in your bulletins for you. And if you don't have a bulletin like the last two weeks, we post them every single day on our Facebook page as well. We try to have a video to go along with each of the readings. I don't know how long we'll be able to keep that up, but uh, try to have a video each day. But if even if we don't have that, we'll post the reading each day so that we can stay together. Matthew chapter 17 is our text for this morning, and I'd like to start beginning reading at verse 1, if you'd follow along with me. Matthew writes, After six days Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light, and just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son. Whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, one more time we would ask that you would breathe life into your word. I believe there's something that you want to say to us today here in this room. You've gathered us here for a reason. Your spirit has drawn us into your presence that we might hear a word not from me, but a word from you. So give us ears to hear what the spirit says to us. Then, Father, give us a mind and a heart to obey. 
We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. If you've been reading the Gospel of Matthew with us, you know that as we come to chapter 17, we are in a bit of a transition. Um, Opposition to Jesus' ministry, which at least in Matthew's Gospel, has been centered in the region of Galilee, the northern territory of what we would call Israel. Jesus' ministry in Galilee has been facing increasing opposition. More and more, the powers that be are are not just questioning Jesus, they are beginning to oppose him publicly. All the way back in chapter 12, we read that some of the religious leaders right there in Galilee had decided it's time, if we're going to do something, we probably need to shut this guy up, even if it means killing him. All the way back in chapter 12, the Galilean religious authorities had decided that. In chapter 15, we watch as it's not just the authorities from Galilee, but some Pharisees and teachers of the law come up from Jerusalem, all the way from Jerusalem to Galilee to inspect and to to investigate this Jesus and to see what he's teaching. As chapter 16 opens, we, we see a group of Pharisees and Sadducees. And if you watched the video this week, you know that is surprising because the Pharisees and Sadducees did not have anything really in common. These were two groups that were almost always at each other's throats. When we see them in the Bible, they are almost always in an argument. Yet here in Matthew chapter 16, they show up together. They show up together. Because they found at least one thing in common. This Jesus needs to be quiet. So the opposition to Jesus has been growing. And then Jesus leaves. He does not just withdraw, he leaves. He leaves Galilee, packs up and heads out. But instead of heading south towards Jerusalem, and coincidentally south towards the heart of the opposition to him, Jesus actually goes in the opposite direction. He crosses the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the Jordan River Valley and heads north to the very edges of Ituria, um, Herod Antipas is tetrarch in, in Galilee, his brother Philip is tetrarch in Ituria, and Jesus heads to the very northernmost edges of that territory, to the city of Caesarea Philippi. A city so Gentile, they named it after the emperor, Caesar Augustus. And there on the outskirts of that very Gentile city, Jesus asks his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And more importantly, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. That's what leads up to the story we just read today. As chapter 17 opens, this is the very next story in Matthew's account. We read that after six days, Jesus gathered up three of the twelve disciples to go on a little trip together. That phrase, after six days, is oddly specific. So far in Matthew's Gospel, most of the time references have been very generic, very general. After a while, after some time, sometime after these things. But this time, Matthew is very specific. After six days... And I have to wonder if maybe Matthew doesn't want us to remember another instance in Israel's history that happened after six days. You go back to Exodus chapter 24, you'll read the account of Moses leading the people of Israel to Mount Sinai, where God will give the law. 
And they prepare themselves for that encounter with God. And having prepared themselves, having cleansed themselves, having purified themselves, prepared themselves to meet with God, God shows up. The cloud descends. The glory of God surrounds the mountain. And for six days, they wait. And then after six days, God begins to speak with Moses. Can't prove it to you, but I have to wonder if maybe Matthew, a Jewish author writing to a Jewish audience, wants us to remember that event from Israel's history when they waited for six days for God to begin speaking, for God to begin revealing himself to Moses. It's a period of six days that they wait. We're not exactly certain where they wait. I personally imagine them waiting there in Caesarea Philippi, there at the foot of Mount Hermon. It's possible, though, that they return to Galilee, to a mountain there in Galilee. Some scholars seem to think Mount Tabor is a likely candidate for the for the transfiguration. I can't prove it one way or another, but I, in my mind, I always imagine them waiting there in Caesarea Philippi. Six days pass. And then Jesus says to Simon Peter, to James and to John, come on, let's go up the mountain together. He leaves the other nine behind. and They begin their way up that mountain. When they get to the top, Matthew says something happened. Jesus was transformed, transfigured, metamorpho'o. You know, metamorphosis, that's the word that Matthew uses. A transformation, a change of form. He was suddenly radically different. It was like God had pulled back the curtain that had been veiling Jesus' divine majesty and allowed the disciples to see that majesty for just a moment. His face began to shine with light. His clothes became dazzlingly white. And as they watched... Peter, James, and John saw Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus. Maybe this is just my easily distracted mind, but I always wonder, how did they recognize him? Well, they didn't have photographs back then. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? But somehow they knew it was Moses and Elijah speaking together with Jesus. And Peter decides... It's time for him to chime in as well. Kind of ironic, isn't it? Uh, here Moses and Elijah are appearing, talking with Jesus, and Peter just can't let that conversation go on without getting involved in the conversation himself. You have your Bibles, look there at verse 4 with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 4 says, uh, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Apparently Peter thought he could do it himself. I'll, I'll do this for you, Jesus, if you'd like it. That at least is how the NIV translates this text. I've told you one of my favorite scholars on the book of Matthew is a professor, a scholar by the name of R.T. France. He's written a lot of books on Matthew's Gospel, um, one of which is the New International Commentary on the New Testament. Their Matthew volume is by R.T. France. And there, in, in that commentary, France translates it this way. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three shelters. 
Now, do you notice the difference between those two readings? Lord, it is good for us to be here. Or, Lord, it's good that we're here. Do you notice the difference between those two? In one, Peter says, in essence, lucky us. I mean, we get to be here. We are so fortunate. It's good for us to be here. The other one, Peter looks at Jesus and says, lucky you. (laughs) Aren't you glad we're here? If you want, I can put up three shelters for you. So how are you supposed to read it? I, I really don't know. I, I studied the, the original language on this verse. I had translated it myself. I can't tell which way it should be read one way or the another. The words could go either way. I, I checked the commentaries, R.T. Francis among some others, and I can find six who will argue one way and six who will argue the other way. So when I'm confused like that, I do what I always do. I, I send a message to, to my personal favorite New Testament scholar, uh, my New Testament professor from back in college times, uh, Dr. Richard Thompson, and I said, which is it? Is there any way to tell from the grammar itself, or is it just the context? Which is it, lucky us, or Jesus, lucky you? I'm sure glad we're here, or aren't you glad I'm here? And Dr. Thompson tells me, it, it, in his opinion, it's not really necessarily the text itself, but in his opinion, we should probably read it the way the NIV translates it. That, that it seems to Dr. Thompson that Peter's intent was, uh, it sure is good that we are here. Lucky us that we get to witness this. And I suppose that makes sense. I suppose that makes sense because who in their right mind would say to Jesus, aren't you glad I'm here? Who in their right mind would say that to Jesus? I mean, we couldn't imagine, we can imagine saying to Jesus, it sure is lucky I'm here. Aren't you glad? We never come to church on a Sunday morning, on a snowy Sunday morning especially, and say, Jesus, aren't you glad I'm here today? We never, we never volunteer in the nursery <laughs> and say, Jesus, aren't you glad I'm in here because if it wasn't for me? You'd never do that, but we wouldn't, would we? We never put a dollar in the offering plate and say, Jesus, aren't you glad I gave my offering today? You really need what I have to offer. Now, I don't know about Jesus, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came out on a Sunday morning, especially a snowy Sunday morning. I'm glad when you volunteer in the nursery. I'm glad when you put money in the offering plate. But when you do those things, you're not doing Jesus a favor. You know that, right? When you do those things, you're doing those things for our benefit. You're doing those things for your own benefit. You're doing those things for Christ's glory, for the glory of God and the good of our world. But those things are never a favor to him. Hey, Jesus Aren't you glad I'm here? Can you imagine saying that? But at this point, as Peter says that, however you read it, as Peter says that, God interrupts. 
And I like that, because Matthew makes it clear that God interrupts. He says, well, Peter was still speaking. He didn't even get all the words out of his mouth before God says, hey, hey, quiet down, Peter. He says a cloud, a bright cloud descended on them. I'm not sure that you can imagine what that must have been like. I don't think I can imagine what that must have been like. Because typically when a cloud descends on a place, it gets darker, right? When the clouds gather overhead, it casts a shadow, but not this cloud. I don't think bright captures the word here. The Greek word is photoneos, uh, photenos. Literally, it means made of light. This was a cloud made of light. And for the second time in Matthew's Gospel, a voice begins to speak from the cloud. And he says the same thing he said last time, right? This is my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And then for Peter's benefit, I think, he says, you better listen to him. (laughs) Maybe not talk quite so much. Listen to what he says. Now, what would you do if you actually heard the voice of God? Now, I'm not talking I'm not talking about some preacher standing up front and saying God's word says to you and telling you what God says. I'm not talking about being in prayer and having deep down inside the sense that this is what God wants you to do, or even in your mind hearing his voice. What would you do if with your ears you heard the voice of God? Do what these disciples did. They fell face down on the ground. When God speaks, they were frightened. When God spoke, they were terrified on their faces on the ground. So much for aren't you glad I'm here. God put them in their place pretty quick, didn't he? This is my son. He's the one I'm well pleased in on their faces on the ground. And then do you have your pencils? Do you have your pens? Do you have your highlighters? There's something here you ought to mark. The most important words in this entire story come next. God speaks. The disciples fall on their ground. And I would, I would circle this in my Bible. It says, but Jesus came. But Jesus came and touched them. But Jesus came. Now, if you were watching the video this week, you know I gave you a little bit of a homework assignment, and maybe you did it. I challenge you to take a look at this word to come. It's one of Matthew's favorite words. It's a pretty straightforward word. Pretty straightforward word. Pros erkomai. Pros means to or toward. Erkomai means to come or to go. Put them together. You go toward. You you approach. You go toward someone. That's what the word means. It's really straightforward. Matthew loves the word though. Uh, It's used 89 times in the Greek New Testament. 89 times an author writes that word, pros erkomai. Of those 89 times, 50 of them are in Matthew's gospel alone. 
Matthew writes about people coming to Jesus all the time. He loves this word. And the people who come to Jesus, they're not even all people, but the people who come to Jesus are all kinds of people. It starts in chapter 4, when the tempter, when the devil comes to Jesus to tempt him. And after that episode, angels came to Jesus to minister to him. After that, in chapter 5, as Jesus heads up the mountain, the disciples come to Jesus so that he can teach them. A centurion, after that Sermon on the Mount, when he returns to, to Galilee, a centurion comes to Jesus to beg of him. All the time, people are coming to Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. There's a certain scribe who comes to Jesus. There are disciples from John that come to Jesus. A woman subject to bleeding. A pair of blind men. Pharisees and Sadducees come to Jesus. Multitudes have come to Jesus. Every time we turn around, somebody else is coming to Jesus. But Matthew, who uses this word 50 times, only twice, talks about Jesus coming to someone else. Only twice does Matthew use this word of Jesus. Once here on this mountain, when the disciples are laying on their faces in fear before the, the glory of God Himself, And if you're going to find that second instance, you're going to have to read for a while. In fact, you're going to have to read Matthew's Gospel all the way to the end. Because the second time Jesus comes to somebody, it's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, out of 20 verses. Interestingly enough, it happens again on a mountain. Matthew chapter 28 tells the story of the resurrection. And after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the women, Mary and Mary Magdalene. Jesus appears to the women and gives them a message. He says to the women, go tell my disciples that I will meet them in Galilee. They will see me there. The women presumably deliver that message because next thing we know, the disciples are in Galilee. And they go, Matthew tells us, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Think it's a coincidence we're back on a mountain? And there, Matthew recounts the first and only encounter of the disciples with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus that Matthew will tell in his Gospel. This is the only time in Matthew's Gospel that the disciples meet Jesus after his resurrection. 28 verse 17 says, When they saw him, when they caught sight of the resurrected Jesus, the one who had been slain standing before him, for them, they worshipped him. That's an awfully weak word, to worship. The word here that Matthew uses is proskuneo. Proskuneo. And the etymology of that word is a bit uncertain. You obviously recognize the word pros, that means to or toward. We already said that. As soon as you hear the word kuneo, I don't know about you, but I think of the word kuon, the Greek word for dog. And etymologists wonder if maybe that's not the root that stands behind this verb. To approach somebody as a, not like they are a dog, but you yourself, to 
to cower before somebody as a dog. Whatever its origin means, the way it works is fairly clear because it was a common word in Greco-Roman circles. To proskuneo meant to prostrate oneself before another. To get down on your knees with your forehead on the ground to bow before them face down. Sound familiar? The disciples behold the glory of the risen Christ up on a mountain and fall face down before Him. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now do you think it's an accident that the only two times that Matthew uses his favorite word about Jesus, that Jesus is coming to his disciples, will they lay face down on the ground before him? I don't think that's an accident. I think Matthew is making a point here. Jesus? That's not a rhetorical question. Do you need Jesus? Are you still operating on the assumption that Jesus needs you? Hey, Jesus, aren't you glad I'm here? <laughs> I got your back. I'll do what you need. Are you still operating on the assumption that Jesus needs you, or do you realize that you need Jesus? You need Jesus to come to you. There is one posture in all of Matthew's Gospel. There's one posture that Jesus says, that Matthew says, Jesus will approach. It's when his disciples, recognizing their need, get on their faces before him. It's when they realize that they're not enough when they realize that they can't on their own, when they realize that they need Jesus, that's when Jesus comes to them. So do you need Jesus today? We have these pieces of furniture in the church. We call them the altar, the kneeling rail, the mourner's bench. A lot of different names for these pieces of wood. But you've heard me tell you this before. The reason they're here is because of what they represent for us. The altar represents for us the very feet of Jesus Christ. They are a place in the church set aside where you can proskuneo. You can get on your knees and get on your face in the presence of the one you need. Matthew says when you come to the end of yourself, when you get on your face before Jesus, that's when He comes. This has been a live recording from our Sunday morning service. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to join us, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 530 West 53rd Street, 
in Anderson, Indiana. You can find out more about us online at SouthdaleNAZ.com. Again, that website is SouthdaleNAZ.com. Now go into peace and be a blessing.